Welcome to Trail Manners, the podcast so dedicated to mountain trails and running that they broadcast out of a 78 Volkswagen bus in the mountains. Who does that? Eric and Joel are your hosts and will bring you the trail life as you may have not heard it before. You hear about everything from gear reviews, nutrition to keep you upright and moving forward, and they'll even bring guests into the bus for conversations that you won't hear anywhere else. It's time for some running adventures on a higher elevation. The old 78 Volkswagen bus is fired up and headed to the mountains. Here are your hosts for Trail Manners, proudly representing the 801 with their passion and love for the trails, Eric Manning and Joel Hatch. Welcome to the Trail Manners podcast, episode number two. Today, we're talking with Robert Kuntz. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The Trail Manners podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at trailmanners.com. Come back often, and please feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Trail Manners. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get after it. Hello and welcome to the Trail Manners Podcast. This is Eric Manning and in Studio 78 today, as always, is Mr. Joel Hatch. How you doing today, Joel? Doing pretty good. How you guys doing? Good. And our special guest today is Mr. Robert Coons. He is the Vice President of Science and Technology for First Endurance. Robert, how are you today? I'm doing excellent. Thank you, Eric. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, again, we are sitting at the Wheeler Creek Trailhead in beautiful Ogden Canyon sitting in the 78 bus and robert i uh right ahead of me there looks like you've got your own little green bus too right i do i do and what year is that an 89 an 89 westie so right now we've got two beautiful buses a 78 and an 89 sitting next to each other and people are gawking as they walk by it is damn sexy so robert welcome to the show i appreciate you getting together with us um you know we kind of want to get into first endurance how did first endurance get to be what it is today and how long you've been doing it well it's it was born in 2002 so we're, we're looking we're closing in on 14 years now of first endurance being around uh, prior to first endurance uh, being born i worked in r d in research and development making bodybuilding supplements uh, however i was always an endurance athlete I always loved to run bike triathlons you named it i was out doing endurance and many of my buddies that knew I worked at Weeder Nutrition making bodybuilding supplements often asked me if they could get some of these supplements that we were making. And we did, and we offered them some supplements, but it, you'd, I'd go back to my desk at work thinking, wow, these guys are actually asking for supplements that weren't designed for them. They're endurance athletes, yet they're asking for supplements that are made for bodybuilders. I'm like, there's got to be something broken out there in the market since this is what these guys are seeking and back then, 15 years ago, the bodybuilding supplement market was way more advanced than anything you could find in the endurance market. Uh, back then in the endurance market, you know, there was some sugar, a little bit of electrolytes, and, and that was it. There was no technology in, in those supplements. So we came to realize that endurance athletes were much more advanced than the products that were available to them, and there was a demand there. So we took that demand and our knowledge of endurance supplements or our knowledge of, of how to make supplements and brought that technology, the bodybuilding technology, into the endurance market. Not so much that we brought 
bodybuilding supplements into the endurance market, but we wanted that advanced technology found in bodybuilding supplements, that same type of technology we wanted to bring into the endurance market. So it took a few years of writing a business plan. Uh, I have a business partner, uh, Mike Fogarty. He oversees sales and marketing. He also was at Weeder Nutrition, and uh, he was the sales and marketing uh, uh, person there. Uh, and so he brought his expertise. He's a cyclist and endurance guy as well. He brought his expertise in sales and marketing into, into the plan. I brought my expertise in research and development into the plan, and we launched our first product in May of 2002. And what was that first product? The first product, interestingly enough, was supposed to be an energy electrolyte drink because that's what endurance athletes knew. And at the time, when we looked at the market and when we wrote our business plan, we came to realize coming out with a product in a market that already had many drinks was possibly not the right thing to do, especially because when we were at Weeder, we realized there was a lot of nutrients, a lot of nutrient technology out there that had great research for endurance athletes, but no one was using it. So an energy electrolyte drink wouldn't have been anything so new, uh, whereas some of the nutrient technologies we found at Weeder did offer up some uh, some things that were absolutely new that no one's even touched. So at that time, there was a lot of research on rhodiola, on cordyceps, and its ability to modulate cortisol. And that gives you an ability to keep your stress in a level that is that, that allows you to train harder day in and day out. So our first product was Optogen. Hmm. And we really created an entire new category, and that's the category of allowing athletes to train hard without going into an overtraining state. So it's brand new. It was certainly risky because no one else had a product like that in the market, but it allowed us to to really stand apart from everybody else and give these endurance athletes something different that they didn't have before. So I imagine when you're you're the research and development guy. So you're developing products. I imagine you were also the guinea pig at some point, or every point. Is that right? Uh, every point. Every that's point. Correct. <laughs> so, so were there times when you would try a product in the development stage and go, "Yeah, I got that wrong." Would it do something to you? Would I mean, how do you know when you got it right? Uh, yes and no. I I do know personally, and and we we understand that everyone is different. Some people have a a very strong effect to a certain nutrient. Others don't have much of an effect at all. I know personally, I don't get a strong effect from almost anything I take. So if I take something and I notice it, I know we're really on to something because my effect is so blunted, so mild. Uh, but I don't allow my own personal uh, test to be the only test. Uh, we really rely on a lot of the research out there, the clinical research out there. And, and when there's a clinical study that shows something works, yeah, I test it on myself and my business par partner tests it and some close friends may test it. But we will go ahead and, and put a prototype together and give it to our athletes. So we have a much larger pool of athletes testing it and, and, and we'll get their feedback uh, to assure that there's something there. And you, you, the athletes you test with, you do cycling, triathlons, you do pretty much everything, right? Yeah, we do cycling, we do triathlons. Interestingly enough, sailing, paddleboarding, motocross, 
tennis, swimming, I mean, the full gamut. Uh, you'd be amazed at how many different athletes come to us to use our products. So when you're doing the products, the other thing that comes into it is the flavor part. You've got your EFS drink, you got the EFS liquid shot, you've got your Ultragen. Um, is it difficult to hone a flavor? Because there's so many on the market you see with everything. I mean, you've got from maple bacons to margarita pizzas to different stuff. For your flavors, there's not a large selection of flavors. So how do you decide when to come out with a new flavor and how do you decide what flavor to go after? Well, you got to understand that our market is, is athletes that are training really hard, athletes that are using a lot of product, athletes that are really focused on their performance. And that doesn't mean they have to be elite, but someone might be doing their first 50K, for example, and that's a big deal to them. So they're really focused on, I need to finish this race. And, and an athlete, in that sense, their performance trumps how something tastes. Uh, so we don't focus heavily on trying to come out with a ton of different flavors to, to, to compete against our competitors. Uh, our focus is that our products simply work better. Uh, but on top of that, flavoring products, you can never please everybody when it comes to flavoring products. And if you look out in the market at what sells, typically it's the sweet tasting products that sell the best. Yet our athletes will tell us nine out of ten times, make it less sweet, make it less sweet. So you always come a across that, that dichotomy of, of w w where do we want to go with this thing. So we really focus, again, on the athlete. Not so much on what the market's doing, but on the athlete. So we try to really focus on flavors that our athletes are asking us for, which is you know non-sweet, things that they can taste and, and drink on the trail all day long that's really going to aid in their performance. And uh, that's what we're constantly striving to do with our flavors whose idea was the cucumber we came well it was a combination of my wife and i uh and again it was a new drink our efs pro that we've come up with uh the trick with that product it's got very very low sweetness so you can't just say oh let's make fruit punch because you can't make fruit punch without sweetness so you have to start thinking what flavors are out there that are low sweetness you know and we had you know a black tea and, and and a little bit of lemon water is one of the flavors we actually launched and cucumber came to mind uh, interestingly enough Gatorade that huge company that we all know has a cucumber drink out there mm. theirs is a bit sweeter than ours and we tasted it and we found it tasted good uh, and we do get consumers asking for savory flavors. Cucumber isn't exactly savory, but it's more along the savory lines than something that's really sweet. So uh, to date, it's been well liked for those that, you know, like cucumber. Like me. So I want to thank you both for that <laughs> one, because that's <laughs> one I was hoping would be good. And when I first tried it, I, it hit the right spot for me, because I love water. That's my, because I just love feeling quenched. But on the same way, the sweet stuff makes me not want to drink it makes me uh, i don't want to drink right now because that's a lot of sugar so the cucumber came out and that's was a home run for me so i just need to thank you both so one of the things i think that i would like to, to touch on is the quality of your product and i don't think a whole lot of people understand um the effort that you put into sourcing the ingredients and why is that important correct uh, again we came from the industry 
meaning we had a lot of experience building products both for Weeder Nutrition and Weeder was also a co-packer, so we'd build products for many other customers out there. And we saw firsthand the difference in a single ingredient like a vitamin C from various different suppliers. So vitamin C is not the same, even though on paper it looks the same, it can come in uh, with various different uh, quality and, and organoleptic and, and, and various different uh, levels of quality in an ingredient like that. On top of that, we our focus was to build the absolute best and to work with the best athletes in the world. And the best athletes in the world are very concerned about supplements being tainted from banned substances or cross-contamination or things of that nature. So we, we understood early on that we have a control if we want to do our homework. We have controls to assure that our ingredients are better and that we have no cross-contamination. So what we do is we verify every single supplier of every single ingredient that goes into every single one of our products. Uh, and just so you understand, typically when a product is made, the manufacturer has the control of sourcing all the ingredients. As long as it meets label claim, they can get their vitamin C from whoever they want. And typically that's whoever's least expensive. Uh, we don't do it that way. We actually tell the manufacturer, you must get your vitamin C from this manufacturer. You cannot change that. And this is from a supplier that we verified. That supplier does not have a single banned substance, does not broker a banned substance, does not ship a single banned substance. Uh, we've already verified the quality of that vitamin C, its purity, its potency, and its organoleptic properties. And then it comes into in-house, and then we test it again in-house to make sure it matches its certificate of analysis. And then we put it in our product, and after the product that's done, we test it again. So these are the controls. This is what we have control over that assures our quality is the absolute highest, and then it assures that there is never a single banned substance that can get into our products. I think that's one of the reasons your product is... In my opinion, one of the better products on the market is you go that extra mile to ensure the quality of the product. Where others are looking for that, give me the cheapest vitamin C out there so that way we can go ahead and, you know, hit our, our margins that we need to. And yeah, correct. And, you know, our products do cost a little bit more, but there's a reason they cost a little bit more. You get better quality, as, as I outlined there, and... and you get better formulas as well in, in our in our products. And I just want you know our listeners to know that Robert's not you know just saying this to say this. I kind of had a little bit of inside track on this. Um, my 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 wife helped source some of these products for Robert when she was working for a nutraceutical company, and he is telling the the truth, man. He goes above and beyond to bring in the best product for First Endurance. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think your wife and I worked on a project for a good 18 months. Uh, often a product can get launched in about nine months because, uh, again, a company can come in and say, you know, these are the ingredients I want, meet this supplement claim, and then you put it together and the product is out there. Uh, in the 18 months we worked together, we still hadn't launched the product, and it was because of those details you know, it's one by one, every single ingredient we scrutinize top to bottom. And if it's not right, we go elsewhere and we scrutinize it again and we go elsewhere and we scrutinize it again. So 
at times it takes us a long time to build a new product, but once we've built that new product, we are so confident in its function and its quality uh, that we never have to put out any fires after it's been put out in the market. In other words, it's out there, people like it, it's working for them. Uh, we have great relationships with every supplier of every ingredient, and, and we know then we can just focus on the athlete and not why this product is different this time than last time or, 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 or little fires like that. And I think when you said it right there, you said you're confident, and I think what that helps in turn is your athlete's confidence because you don't deal with just the, the weekend runners only. I mean, they do. I mean, you see them, but you've got Tour de France cyclists who let's face it they're scrutinized probably more than any athlete on the planet these days um, and triathletes um, so they're the ones that when they have your product they can have that confidence knowing hey this is the best that I can put in my body and if I do get tested or if I can't have something in my body I don't have to worry about it yeah you're absolutely right again it was since day one since the first before we even launched a single product we wanted to work with the best athletes in the world not because we're paying them XYZ money because they want our products, both from a performance standpoint and from a quality standpoint. So to your point with even Tour de France cyclists and teams, um, we do sponsor a couple teams uh, that race Tour de France, but we have a half dozen other teams that actually purchase our products through their own budget because of their confidence in our product line. Uh, and we think that's the, the biggest um, compliment we could get as a brand. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And um, you, with that, it just goes back to the same thing over and over again. What you're putting in your body, you're getting the results. You know, you're not putting in garbage and getting garbage results. You're putting in the best product, the best quality, and you're getting those quality results. You're absolutely right. All right. Well, we'll be right back again uh, with for a few more questions with Robert. So stay with us. <laughs> All right, welcome back to the Trail Mariners Podcast. We're here in Studio 78 at the Wheel of Trailhead. Again, we're with Robert Kuntz, founder, First Endurance. So, Robert, one of the things that we wanted to bring up today and touch upon was if you're, say, a beginning endurance athlete, beginning trail runner, beginning ultra runner, what are some of the things we can consider that would be helpful to that individual as far as nutrition goes? Uh, that's a great question, and interestingly enough, it, it's not just the beginner. It's the intermediate. It's the advanced. The recommendation really doesn't change. Uh, often, I'll get professionals or elite athletes that are having all kinds of stomach issues, and my recommendation to them is the same recommendation I'd give an absolute beginner. And that recommendation is, first off, to simplify. The only thing your body needs to go long endurance is water, sugar, and electrolytes. Nothing else is needed. Okay, that's first and foremost. So if you remember that and focus on those three things, water, sugar, electrolytes. Get those three right, and you never have to ever change anything again. Those three will get you through a 100-mile ultra race. Those three will get you through a 10K. Okay, get those right. From there... Advanced athletes can certainly try to tweak things with maybe a little bit of caffeine, some amino acids, different little things they can use to tweak. But it's water, electrolytes, and sugar. And also be careful when you read the magazines and news shows that give you all this danger about sugar. 
your body runs on sugar. There's nothing wrong with giving your body sugar when it needs to run. So your body has stored glycogen, which is stored sugar. It converts it to glucose, which is what's circulating in your bloodstream. If you consume glucose, you don't, you don't have to convert it. It goes right into your bloodstream, and it, and it gets used for exercise. That is sugar. So those people that are trying to exercise and limit their sugar, okay, they're actually causing their bodies to convert or, or the, the, the whatever nutrient they're trying to put in, in their body, they're trying to convert that into sugar. In other words, start with a very, very simple plan. Sugar, electrolytes, water. Uh, an easy ratio, if you have any kind of stomach issues, is that you want to consume your sugar to water in about an 8% solution. And the easy way to remember is for every 100 calories you consume, you need 12 ounces of fluid. So 100 calories, 12 ounces, that's roughly 8% solution. That's where you get ideal absorption. And that's your starting point. Everyone differs from there. So yeah, can you go more concentrated? Sure. But you should start at an 8% and then start pulling it back to see what you can handle. Can you, do you need to go less concentrated? Maybe. If you're super, super sensitive to, to consuming nutrients, maybe you have to go more like a 10% solution. So maybe you have to go, for every 100 calories, you might want 14 ounces of fluid or 15 ounces of fluid. But that's your starting point there. So 100 calories to 12 ounces. Start there. Do that in your training. Do that in your racing and see how that goes before you start changing or tweaking anything or adding proteins or adding caffeine or adding gels or whatever you do, keep it real, real simple. So where do the electrolytes come into that equation? So if you ask 10 people and 10 experts, you know, which electrolyte do I need so I don't cramp? Some of them are going to tell you sodium. Some are going to tell you magnesium. Some are going to tell you, oh, I have bananas because of the potassium. You know, some might tell you chloride. Some might, you know, some might tell you, actually, you need calcium. So <laughs> everyone is going to tell you something different, you know, whether they're an expert or not. The bottom line is you need all five of those electrolytes. Your body, your muscle contractions require all five of those. So to try to consume one to fix a problem is the wrong approach. Really, you need to consume all five of those and keep those in balance and that will assure good muscle contractions. Uh, certainly, the research out there varies, where some people tell you, well, electrolytes really don't play a role in cramping. It's all about hydration. You know, and some will tell you it's the sodium. Some will tell you it's the potassium. Uh, however, anecdotally, and there is research out there that shows that having all five of those electrolytes will help prevent not only cramping, but it also helps muscle contraction, which ultimately your goal is to perform well. The better your muscles contract, the better you can perform. So as soon as you are depleted in calcium or even magnesium, your muscle contractions suffer. And that could lead to cramping, but it also can lead to detrimental uh, performance. So that's certainly critical, but again, our recommendation is get all five of those in um, 
and then you'll be fine for long distance racing. And and one of those you touched on brought some bad memories for me is magnesium. Too much magnesium is a bad Ooh. thing in an ultra race. Correct. Um, I tried that one time. I wish I'd listened to this podcast uh, beforehand, but I did more magnesium than anything, and that was a really long day out on the trail. I got really intimate with bushes, so be careful on the overdose of magnesium for sure. That actually holds true with any of those electrolytes. Too much sodium without the other electrolytes will cause issues. Too much potassium without the other electrolytes will cause issues. So any electrolyte concoction that's focused on one or two of the electrolytes that you're going to consume over many, many, many hours are likely going to cause issues. Have all five and you'll be just fine for the long haul. And what do you recommend far as training goes? Because I know a lot of people train, but they don't necessarily train with what they're using in a race. So they'll go out, say it's a 10, 15-mile run, they'll just take water. I'm good with water, I'll go train. And that's their training regimen for a week, for two weeks, for a month. And then they hit a race, and they're like, okay, I got my drop bags, I got my electrolytes, got my sugar. Um, What's the pros and cons to training that way? Yeah, well, you know, your body adapts. That's what's beautiful about the human body is that it'll adapt to any stimulus you give it. And the longer, the harder you give it those stimulus, the longer and the better it will adapt. So running for a couple hours in just water, your body adapts by sparing glycogen. In other words, it holds onto its glycogen, and it learns to burn fat more efficiently, which is a good thing. However, a two-hour run is not an eight-hour run. Or a two-hour run is not a 100-mile run. So in those situations, you will need some glycogen. You will need some sugar. So even though you've adapted to burning fat efficiently, at the same time, you've adapted to not consuming sugar. You've taught your body, I can just run on water. I'm not consuming any sugar. So you introduce that sugar on race day, and your body says, hey, 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 hold on here. You haven't given me any sugar. You've trained without sugar for so, so long. I'm not doing this, you know, and it'll start rejecting the sugar. Oh, it won't absorb it well. So a combination of the two is best. You know, for running, we do know, we understand many, many runs are done on nothing or just a little bit of water. Uh, We're not going to change everybody, (laughs) but you do need to understand what you're doing to your body. So it's good in the sense that, you're teaching your body to burn some fat. It's good in that sense. It's bad in the sense that you're also teaching your body not to absorb sugar well, or you're teaching your body to run without sugar. So you have to do a combination of the two. You know, one of the best ways to do it is to do both in your training. You know, on a long run, you know, I may make sure I have my 8% solution, 100 calories to 12 ounces, and I use that in my long run so my body understands what it feels like and how to absorb those calories in that long run. A week later, I might do my long run on just water, you know, and you can do a little bit back and forth. The other side of that equation is on these long runs is that you're not going to just burn fat. You're always going to burn some sugar. The only way you're going to burn just fat is if you're walking really slow. And at that point, you're still burning some sugar, but um, mostly fat. So we all are trying to run, and if you're trying to run, you're going to burn some sugar. And if you go on a long run and you're burning your sugar, and you're burning through your glycogen, and you're burning most, if not all, of your glycogen, you have just put your body under enormous amount of stress. You drive your cortisol up, 
and that's a downward spiral in all the recover me recovery mechanisms. In other words, you're going to get more sore, it's going to take longer to recover, and it's going to affect your run the next day. So it's a good thing in that it helps you adapt. It's a bad thing in that recovery may suffer. So you have to have a balance. Really, the best recommendation is to not push it too far in any respect. Don't try to go super long on nothing, or don't try to go super long on water. You know, Every run, understand my body needs some fuel. Give it some fuel. You know, Give it some water. Give it some electrolytes. Give it some fuel. Can you run long on light calories to help adapt a little bit? Sure, do that. But again, stay kind of right in the middle. Be smart about it. And don't try to trick your body or really push your body into a system that puts too much stress on it. When you, when you talk about using calories for your run, you hear this a lot. When I first started trail running, everybody told me, you want 100 calories an hour. Every one hour, take 100 calories or take a gel pack. Now, when I sit next to Joel, we're two different body types. I'd so, say so. 100 calories to me and 100 calories to Joel, to me, seems like it would affect us differently or not affect one of us at all. So is there a magic solution? Is there a recommendation according to how many calories should I be taking? And say I'm doing a... Uh, a 50k all right so i'm going to be out there let's say it's a six seven hour day is there any guideline or any recommendation of how many calories per hour i should be looking at taking in no <laughs> that's the bottom line that's no a good answer it is a good answer because many people will give you a guideline and there are far too many variables to, to be able to give someone a guideline you know you have to experience you have to understand yourself what you're trying to accomplish uh, some of the variable, variables being pace. The faster I go, the harder I push my body. The closer my heart rate is to threshold, the more glycogen I burn. And as soon as you run out of glycogen, you're bonking, and, and your performance suffers greatly. So if I'm running at threshold pace, if I'm really pushing myself, I'm going to need a lot more calories per hour, 250, maybe 300 calories per hour, if I'm trying to run at threshold. If I'm trying to run sub-threshold or significantly sub-threshold, my body will burn more fat and less glycogen. And at that point, I can consume less calories per hour. So if I'm running sub-threshold, you know, say my threshold heartbeat is 150. If I'm running at 130, you know, I can consume far, far fewer calories for a long haul in that situation. So... That differs. The other thing that differs is, is running efficiency, training, environmental. There's far, far too many variables. So uh, an experienced runner should know this and should know, okay, the situation, this is how well-trained I am. This is how long this is. This is how hot it is outside. You know, this is how my nutrition might adjust today. Um, but whether that person is elite, intermediate, or beginner, it goes back to its water, sugar, electrolytes. Okay, that doesn't change. How many calories you consume may change. Okay, that makes that makes sense because you hear that a lot, and a lot of people ask that question too. Is, you know, I need this much. I got this much in my bottle. I got this much in my drop bag, um, and that kind of brings to another question: is whole foods. You know, a I'm lot glad of times you're touching on that because I was just about to ask him the same thing. Yeah. So, like in races, you know, 
whether it's a 50 mile, 50 K, when you hit, hit an aid station and there's whole food, there's fruits, there's watermelons, there's pretzels, nuts, nuts, potato chips, M&Ms. sandwiches, Ooh, um, burritos. Yeah. Those are pretty good. Oh, those are my favorites. <laughs> so how does that incorporate and how does that affect what you've already talked about as far as these things you need? How does a whole food affect when it hits your gut? Okay. Remember your body, anything you consume, your body will convert it to glucose to be able to be used. Anything you consume. The harder the conversion, the more you're asking your digestive system to work. So think of what a burrito, what it takes to convert that to glucose. How does that differ from maybe watermelon, converting that to glucose? I mean, we can all, it doesn't take rocket science. Just thinking about that, I'm guessing 99% of the people will give me the right answer. I'm just thinking about it, man, I'm hungry. (laughs) That burrito sounds good right now. So, you know, often at these aid stations and these really long runs, it's more psychological than it is physiological. So your body, again, all it needs is sugar, water, and electrolytes. However, I've been running a long, long time. My body has this internal clock that Mm. says it's noon and it's lunchtime and I'm getting hunger pains. And taking a couple bites of that burrito sounds really good right now to get rid of my hunger pains. However, that burrito now needs to be digested, and it needs to be converted to glucose, and you have just asked your body to do a whole lot of work for those calories. So our philosophy is that if performance is what you're trying to accomplish, if not having a bad gut is what you're trying to accomplish, then stay away from all those whole foods and really focus on the easiest way things will get through your gut. And that's, you know, the least conversion necessary. So, you know, glucose, sugars are good. Uh, Complex carbohydrates coming from maltodextrin is also good because it has a very weak bond. So it actually gets converted very easily to glucose. Um, Things with proteins, nuts, whole grains, very, very healthy for you but not great for performance on race day. That's some serious insight that we've got going on right now. I still like the burrito at the aid station. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. It feels so good to eat it, especially if you've been on the trail for 12 or 13 hours. Pumpkin pie. uh, Well, it depends. If it's pumpkin pie at Ty Draney's race, it's super good. (laughs) But if it's pumpkin pie at, say, the Zion 100 and it's hot, that might not be so good. From experience. From experience. Trust me, folks. And, you know, it's funny because... Hunger generally elicits a a sense of energy drain. You know, it's time for me to eat. So a lot of these athletes start getting hungry, and they think my energy is waning because I'm hungry. I need food. However, they don't necessarily have to correlate that way. And we've uh, consulted with many of of the world's best athletes and taught them that Being hungry in a really long-distance race is one of the best things you can have because being hungry means your stomach is empty, and an empty stomach allows nutrients to get absorbed much, much better than a full stomach does. So if you can deal with hunger pains, knowing that with hunger pains, nutrients are going to get absorbed better, your performance is going to improve because you are not trying to get rid of those hunger pains by putting a solid piece of food into your stomach. 
I think that's where a lot of beginner and intermediate runners really run into this problem, where they have a tendency to overeat. They go by that old guideline, you got to get 250 uh, calories per hour, is that they're not training to deal with that sensation of, okay, I'm hungry, now i got to slam down a gel that may or may not go over so well in the long run. So that just goes back to what you said. You have to train your body in order to go ahead and you know, simulate that race day experience. So that way you can get your best, you know, out of that situation. And so when you were talking about your stomach turning on you like it does and you lose, the, you know, it's a glycogen or whatever, When what is the biggest cause for people? You hear in the 100-mile races, one that just happened recently, I lost my stomach, I couldn't get my stomach back, I was nauseous, throwing up. What gets them generally to that point? I know there could be variables. Heat is a huge one. Um, but what's kind of a common thing that can get you to my stomach's gone? Yeah, and it, so, you know, if you get real technical about it, it's osmolality. So osmolality uh, takes the concentration, it, it's the amount of osmoles in a, in a solute, and it takes the concentration of the food or nutrient. Um, and, well, let me take a step back. So your bloodstream has an osmolality of 270 to about 300 milliosmoles. If you consume something that's within that range, 270 to 300 milliosmoles, you get perfect absorption through the gut. If you consume something that's much, much higher than that, 600, 800,000 milliosmoles, like a solid piece of food, your body looks for water in order to change that concentration so it can get absorbed. And when you go in the gut and there's no water with it, it will take water from, from your bloodstream bring it into the gut to try to break that food down so it's at a osmolality where it can get absorbed. When you're running, you don't have a whole lot of blood left over for your digestive system to do this very difficult task. So that's typically when stomachs go bad is generally with these whole foods and nutrients that are too calorically dense and don't have enough water with it to have an appropriate osmolality so it can go right into the digestive system, or right from the digestive system into the bloodstream. So this all seems to be getting quite technical, but it goes back to the thing I said originally, 100 calories to 12 ounces of fluid. So if I'm going into this aid station and I'm grabbing, it doesn't matter where those calories come from, but if I'm grabbing 300 calories of whatever that is, Am I going to have 36 ounces of fluid with it? Seems like a whole lot of fluid. Answers are no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the answer is no. That's a sloshy gut right there. <laughs> is, yeah. So you have to keep that in mind, you know. And, again, you know, pace plays such a huge role in these ultra-endurance races. And I'm not just talking pace over the whole thing. I mean, even that first climb, if you got to climb 3,000 feet, you're doing it at a heart rate of 170, you're running through your glycogen really, really quick. And then you're asking your body to consume a whole lot of calories in a situation where my heart rate's 170. So for that beginner, even intermediate, you know, let those people go. Keep your heart rate in check. If that means walking, great. Okay, your nutrition will be far, far better because you're not running through your glycogen so fast. You're still burning fat. And because of that, you know, you can get away with 150, 200 calories an hour and not have to push, try to push 400 calories an hour. So all those things play a role. 
You know, it goes back to how many calories an hour do I need, Robert? Well, tell me what your pace is going to be on that first hill. You know, tell me what your pace is going to be on the second hill. You know, how's your training? There's too many variables involved. But pace plays a huge role in how well your nutrition does. And I think that goes back to one of the original comments you made is simplify. You know, and it goes back to another very common thing in running and probably in other sports is run your race. Because you do, you see people flying up a hill, man, I should be going that fast, or flying down a hill or across a flat section. If you stick to what you know and how you've trained your body, whether it's your nutrition or just your general training, running your race, simplifying it, kind of eliminates future problems. I'd say so. So, you know, that's some gems right there. I wish I had this podcast seven years ago. And that that would have been nice, huh? Maybe I would have been finishing in the top 50 percent maybe. well i hope uh, it helps somebody yeah <laughs> so we're gonna take a quick break we're gonna come back with robert uh we're gonna talk uh, another quick question and then we're gonna enter the lightning round so we'll be right back you are listening to the trail manners podcast bringing you the dirt and the vert All right, we are back with Robert in the bus today. Robert, uh, we're going to go ahead and touch something that we've talked about a little bit, uh, you know, in the past for first endurance. And you are headed to Russia, is that right? That's right, in two weeks. And what are you going to be doing in Russia, and why are you going? Uh, why exactly, or how exactly, I ended up there is is uh, is is a neat story to begin with. But uh, I'm going. I'm invited by FIFA, the world. Uh, Uh, soccer federation, probably the most powerful sports federation in the world, uh, invited me to be a speaker at their conference in Sochi, Russia. And the invitation came through really the Croatian national soccer team. Their head doctor of the soccer team is a fan of first endurance, and he's uh, associated closely with FIFA, and he invited me to speak uh, about recovery in soccer. So how long, when are you going and how long will you be there? I leave in two weeks, so the end of October, and I will be there. Well, it takes about a day and a half to get there, really. <laughs> I'll be there for about three and a half days. Okay, so you're talking not only one of the most powerful, like, through sports organizations, but these guys are powerful on any level. I mean, they're going through some scandals right now, which is kind of still playing through, but it's not going to hold up the trip. Uh, but these guys, they, they can pull the strings. Yeah, and I must admit, I'm a bit nervous because they are such a powerful organization. Uh, you know, I understand the subject matter, so I'm calm on the subject matter, but nervous, you know, with, with such a, an influential organization like FIFA to be there speaking and, 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 and whining and dining with these people. Uh, it's, it's a little nervous. So will you know anybody over there? Like, is there anybody over there that you're going to know and be with that you're comfortable with, or is you're just kind of going by yourself and they just tell you where to go and what to do? I'm pretty much by myself. Uh, I know a couple people, importers of First Endurance. I don't know them well. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty much on my own. Nice. So we can expect to see in the next World Cup a First Endurance border on the sidelines of the World Cup, right? That'd be pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck in Russia, um, and we'll have to get together to hear how that went as well. Um, so one of the things we like to do on our podcast is what we call the lightning round. So this is where I just blurt out some quick little things, and you whatever pops in your head with the quickest answer will go with that. Does that sound good? Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, start, we'll start easy then. We'll get into it pretty easy because um, I know this will be easy for you, right? So what are your top three beers? 
Well, I have to go. I always have to go with full suspension. Uh, I, I was once on that label riding my mountain bike. I was on the full suspension nice. label, so I have to go with that. And I do actually like that beer quite a bit. Uh, you know, I love beer, but I don't have these favorites. Um, I, I drink Stella's from time to time, and I really like a Stella. And uh, I always like the Utah beers, so I'll, I'll go with a Cutthroat. Okay, nice. Utah does have some great beers, no they matter do. what people want to think about it. So um, lots on the list. All right, so what is a bucket list race or adventure you still need or want to do? It's running 100 miles. Yeah. Absolutely running 100 miles. It's the... You know, my wife and I, our thing is to do a new adventure, a new challenge every year. We just came back from one in Europe where it was a week-long uh, bike race. Uh, and one adventure, and, and we, we always prepare, we go, we do it, and, and it's great, and it's a big challenge. We can't quite wrap our hands around 100 miles. It scares us. It's, it's long. It's really hard, and, and we know the preparation. You can't just go from zero to 100 miles. It's a couple years to really do it right, you know, getting into some 50Ks, 50 miles, 100 miles. So, yeah, Wasatch 100. Nice, in the backyard, because you guys have both done the Speedgo 50K. Yes. Okay, and so that's, that is a lot more challenging and difficult than a lot of 50 mile even 100k races and some people said you know because of a lot of things a 100 mile race so that'll be interesting to see how you do there and i hope you get into wasatch because that's in the backyard so yeah and i think doing one that's really hard like a wasatch uh, gives us the opportunity to not think that we can run 100 miles but really slow down some hard hikes and be in the mountains and and look more like a, a long hard day in the mountains instead of trying to really run for 100 miles so part of having a real challenging one i think gives you that okay so now when you run is it music or no music i'm no music i like being in nature nice i just like yeah disconnecting and being in nature okay so if you could pick one person throughout history dead or alive to run on the trails with just to pick their brain talk to you know have questions for who would that be it's interesting because when we ran with Scott Jaime on the Colorado Trail, he asked who are the three people you'd bring to dinner, anybody dead or alive. And uh, one of those, I think maybe my wife said it, or I, I don't remember where he came up, but it was Fidel Castro. And I was like, wow, that would be an interesting character. So wow. I'll go with Fidel again. Okay. You know, and, and his history and, and what he brought brings to the table, I think, would be pretty amazing. Okay, that's a good one. What is your favorite fruit? A mango. Mango. Meat or veggies? Meat. Meat. What is your favorite race distance, whether it's cycling or running, and why? Race distance, it's five hours. Five hours? Of anything. Really? Yeah, because you can settle into a pace. You don't destroy yourself. It's not terribly difficult to train for. You know, you can, if you're busy, you go run an hour, or bike an hour and a half, and that's okay. And then once a week, you get three or four hours in, and, and you're trained for a five-hour race. So, yeah, five hours. Okay. So if someone did a movie on your life, who would play the leading role as you? <laughs> movie on my life, or I don't know, who... I'll go with Brad Pitt because the girls think he's hot. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so would you prefer an, a morning or an evening run? 
Morning. Morning. And then one last question. What's your expected time? Um, how long, I should say, how long is it going to be till you sign up for your first 100 mile? Oh, you're putting me on the spot. That's so right. this is going to be recorded and published? This is recorded published? and published, and people are going to hear this. Oh, my. Okay. I, I'm For that reason, I'm going to have to put it out a little further. So I'm 46 before I turn 50. Okay. Can I do that? Yeah, absolutely. It gives you plenty of time. So that's that's really good. Um, a couple more before we go. Um, what, you know, your typical pre-workout, long workout, say it's a five-hour bike ride or run. What do you eat before you get on your bike or you put your shoes on? You know, it's I, before I, I what I eat before is, isn't as critical as what I have on the bike. Okay, you know, it for me if I, I'm going five hours, it's yeah I got to start fueling right away and, and I fuel throughout. Uh, typical daily meals I think are perfect in, in your training, and I don't think you have to adjust it so much because of a specific workout. But I make absolutely certain I always have EFS on every single workout, and um, it allows me to, you know, do something every single day. It keeps me recovered well, fueled well, and uh, it just works. Nice. Well, I, I wanted to say thanks again for being on the show. Um, we loved having you. We love the. Uh, this is going to be some great information for a lot of people out there. So we want to tell you thank you. And if you haven't yet tried First Endurance, I highly recommend it. You can go to www.firstendurance.com. They have a blog. They've got you know all the supplements they have for nutrition, all the things that help you. But they also tell you how to use them, why to use them. And they also have information on athletes that have already used them and how they've used them. And that's where I've got some great information. I had Luke Nilsson actually teach me one year how to make a slurry. <laughs> and at the time, I'd never heard of it, and it was absolutely amazing. And that was when I finished under 30 at Wasatch, was this slurry year. So um, that was really good. So, Robert, thanks for having us, uh, you know, in the bus. Thanks for um, letting us take us some time away from you, and we hope that you get caught up on some Russian so when you get over there, you know you can find your way around. Thank you, Eric. Uh, you are putting a great quality product together here, and I'm, uh, I'm proud that I'm uh, one of your first uh, people on the show. You are actually our second show, so right. congratulations. Great, thank you. All right. Thanks, Robert. Thank you for listening to the Trail Manners Podcast. We'd like to thank Robert Coons for joining us in Studio 78. You can see more of Robert on Instagram at rcoons, K-U-N-Z, 0511 or you can check out the fine line of first endurance products at www.firstendurance.com and follow them on instagram facebook and twitter at first endurance that's f-i-r-s-t-e-n-d-u-r-a-n-c-e you can also follow the trail manners brigade here on instagram twitter and facebook at trail manners or you can swing by the website at www.trailmanners.com you can swing by the store page for some gear you can hit us up on the contact page let us know what you want to see who you want to hear if you want to be on the show until next time this is eric manning and joel hatch reminding you you don't get what you wish for you get what you work for now go get it